Hi everyone, I'm Katie Dawson and welcome to Super Creative, a podcast that delivers candid conversations with inspiring women who are thriving in business. Welcome back to Super Creative in 2023. I'm thrilled to be back initially with two epic episodes which will hopefully be followed by more goodness throughout the year. Thank you so much for listening and for sticking around. I know that this podcast is a little bit haphazard and has quite inconsistent scheduling, but I like to think that when an episode does air, it really does bring the goods. So thank you so much for every comment and share, even when there are no new episodes, and I really do love bringing you all these wonderful conversations. I like to think that the slightly unplanned, unpolished chats give you some real insight into these awesome women that I chat to. And as I talked about over on Instagram last week, many New Zealanders have really been through the ringer in the first few months of 2023. Once again, I am sending so much love to our listeners in all parts of our beautiful country that have been affected by the crazy weather disasters. I know that there are so many areas that will be needing ongoing support for a long, long time to come. And I like to think that there are many of us in the same boat wondering how we can help and support those who need it most. I guess this will be a continued conversation. On another note, for about two years, I've been planning to do a sort of quickfire faves episode of my own. Those that know me personally will know that I love sharing good recommendations, especially when it comes to podcast books and TV. What do you think? Should I do one? I have like little notes stashed everywhere on my computer and on my phone, etc, etc. Let me know if you would be keen to listen to sort of a one-off episode or should I just stick to the business chats? Anyway, in the meantime, the podcast is back. So bear with me, I've been talking for a little while and I'm about to introduce the next episode so you'll hear my voice for a little bit longer. Today on the podcast, I speak with the clever Francis Schumach, founder of Arbel, a modern, 100% plant-derived fragrance house fixated on a better future. Following a failed search for a natural perfume that was chic, modern and long-lasting, Arbel was founded on Instagram by Francis with a simple goal, to create the world's best natural perfume. And for nearly a decade, Arbel have been working on that mission without compromising on ethics or aesthetics and in doing so, inspiring positive change. Now based in the brand's Wellington Fabrique, which is Dutch for factory, Arbel is sold in 33 countries, including Japan, the US and Germany, and beloved by customers around the world. Arbel had been on my radar for a while, and although I didn't know too much about the brand story, I'd started sort of noticing it appearing around and about and instantly loved the brand aesthetic. So I put Frances on my wish list of people to get in touch with, and of course was delighted when she said yes to come on the pod. And as you'll hear, I deliberately refrained from reading up too much about her business journey prior to our conversation, as I really wanted it to be fresh in my ears. I really love that this is a slightly different take on a Kiwi business journey, considering this is a Kiwi that started her company on the other side of the world, achieved some global success and then brought her business back home. I was full of admiration for Francis even before we chatted and our conversation did not disappoint. It's hard not to get nervous when talking to these incredible women, but Frances was so genuine, humble and generous with her time telling me her story. And we were on a time limit, so I was trying very hard to get all my questions in. 
We recorded this episode a few months ago and since then I've been able to follow Francis and the Arbor journey more closely and with more insight. Francis is a true thought leader and change maker. There have been several instances over the past few months where I've seen Francis both personally and Arbor as a brand sharing a perspective that has really made me think and generate some conversations in my own life. As an example, as I record this intro, it's the day before International Women's Day. This morning I received an email that Arbor will be giving their all-female team a paid day off to take one back for the many days of free work that women do every year when it comes to the gender pay gap. I love this. It's just so refreshing to see these wonderful women making changes in this crazy world. Anyway, I've talked enough. Please enjoy my conversation with Francis. I know you'll love it as much as I did. Oh, and after this episode, you can find Abel online at abelodor.com and check them out on Insta at abelodor. Right, on with the show. Hi, Francis, and welcome to my podcast. Hi, Katie. I am going to start off by asking you to describe who you are and what you do. Uh, I am Francis, obviously. Uh, I find it very hard to separate out who I am from what I do. I think um, Abel and being a mother, I think all of the things that I do are basically what define who I am, let's say. Um at heart, I'm someone who just wants to lead a really meaningful, happy life. <laughs> I know that sounds cheesy, but um, yeah, so all of the things in my life kind of stem from that. So the business, Arvel, uh, we create 100% plant-derived perfumes that we sell around the world. I'm sure we'll talk more about that. Um, I have a wonderful family, uh, husband, Dave, uh, sons, Rufus and Arthur, Um and yeah, incredible network of people around me who play a really important part of my life. Um, is that the... Is that's that perfect. Yeah, that's perfect. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for clarifying Arbel because I've been saying it all wrong in a really Kiwi able. Um, I know. Yeah. I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, fussy about it, but the truth is I founded the business in Amsterdam uh, and so the the Dutch pronunciation is Abel. Um, and I so, love it. Yeah, I will I will change from now on. And um and you and I have had a few uh, communications before this, so I have told you my sort of secret shame, which is that I can't smell. <laughs> but I am um I've wanted to talk to you for ages because I have been I've, I. I remember when your brand launched and when it first came into the into the scene in sort of New Zealand anyway, and I've just loved it from the minute it launched just from a aesthetic and branding point of view. It was just beautiful, different, just so different right from the word go. I am now a, um, an Arbel fan because I have, as we will talk about probably further, um, found my scent that I'm going to wear from now on and about to purchase my big bottle. Um, but also I, you've, there was recently a big piece about you in Homestyle and I have deliberately not read it. I've read stuff about you a while ago. So I know about sort of Amsterdam, et cetera, but I actually have refrained from doing any 
really detailed story yeah. research because I want to know it all from you and I'm really really excited to hear because you just have created this incredible international brand and so yeah I want to hear all about it but first of all where we start as we go back we take it right back where are you from what did you study did you study first jobs all that kind of thing Cool. So um, I grew up um, in rural South Canterbury um, in a big family. I'm one of six children. I say these things because I think they kind of define our life's trajectory, don't they? I recently learned part of my um, super competent persona is probably that I'm the second eldest of six. <laughs> you know, Makes sense, yeah. Very <laughs> age, I was cooking dinners and things like that. So um yeah, and my mum was a yoga teacher, so I had this uh, really probably quite unusual. She was to have six children and be a yoga teacher in rural New Zealand um, back in the 90s was probably quite Yeah, I know. feel like it's it's on trend now, but it it's wouldn't on trend really now. have been then. No, no, definitely not. Oh. You know, big organic vegetable garden, all those kinds of things as well, so... Um, yeah, I had a pretty cool upbringing. Um, I think that kind of high expectation meets kind of, um, you know, the other side, the, the organic yoga side. Um, and uh, I studied, uh, so I went from high school straight to Lincoln University and studied winemaking. Uh, and that to me was, I always, from like a five-year-old, was going to be an architect. So that was always my um, passion. Uh, and just before leaving school, um, I something switched. I was enrolled up, you know, in Wellington in architecture. And I thought, oh, winemaking. I don't know why. But um, as my career kind of grows, I think there's maybe the architecture, the winemaking and the perfume, they're all really about where science meets art um, and where nature meets science as well, especially for wine and perfume. Um, and so I think that's kind of that's really where my interests lie and that kind of tension or harmony, depending on how you're looking at it. Um, and so, yeah, I studied wine, worked in the wine industry for about uh, seven years, I think, before um, leaving New Zealand to move to Amsterdam. Just going back uh, to the wine, that is quite um, a you don't often hear. I don't really know anyone that went I, straight from school into winemaking you know I I know at that age people get into wine but in a different way it's it's quite unique it was quite unique so there was I think we were one of the like first or second years of the undergrad program at Lincoln until then they'd only done it as a postgrad um and I think exactly like you say there were plenty of you know ex-accountants and bankers (laughs) all the lifestyle changes who were like you know I'm done with the city I want to do Thing, you know with my hands that I care about um so it was a bit strange but there was a cool little crew of us um I think like 10 or 12 or something like that that kind of came straight through from school um but I think in many ways it was probably the reason I left wine and set out on a different path is that it's a big call to go straight from school to an industry and stay in an industry you know and I think I kind of cut my teeth in wine I learned so much um I love the industry Um, But I actually think I probably needed to pivot in order to forge my own way because I'd entered that world as a 17-year-old, you know, and I think, yeah, so, yeah. Cool. Who did you work for when you were working? 
Yeah, so I worked with um, Villa Maria out of Auckland uh, most of that time, uh, and I did a graduate program with them um, where I was lucky enough to do, um, you know, stints at the Marlborough Winery and Vitals in Esk Valley in the Hawke's Bay. Um, I also did, I worked at Noidoff when I was um, studying, and so I had, yeah, a nice little um, time in the wine industry, and then when I left Villa, I, I kind of realised when I did that first two or three years with Villa that I loved the winemaking process, but I was actually arguably more interested in the business side of the industry. And so I kind of naturally gravitated more towards um, uh, different outside of the wine, basically. <laughs> Villa was an amazing kind of learning ground. I got access to all kinds of stuff. And so my next role was at New Zealand Wine Groves. Um, and they're, an, they're the, the industry organization. Um, and so I went into a marketing role for them, um, originally working with their Europe-based team, um, Marketing New Zealand Wine, um, and then more um, brand management kind of role for them. So I kind of had already pivoted out of the winemaking. And so I was, the last thing I did at Wine Growers was rebuilding um, the website and, you know, launching social media, which at the time was like, oh, we don't need to be on Facebook. We're a wine brand. <laughs> um, and then, so when I left to move to Amsterdam, um, I thought, oh, I really enjoy this, you know, digital marketing, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm going to have a change uh, when we move up there and, you know, you don't move to Amsterdam for the wine. <laughs> Why did you move? And when was this? Yeah, that was um, early in 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, and why did we move? Or oh, 2011, sorry. Uh, we moved. Uh, I really wanted to live in Europe. Um, luckily, Dave, my husband, and I both had um, European passports. So, you know, it made it a little bit less intimidating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we kind of just like almost a process of elimination, you know, that wanted to live in Europe, wanted um, kind of a, you know, an urban multicultural center, but wanted to be able to get good jobs. So we needed enough English speaking jobs um, and kind of landed on Amsterdam. Didn't want uh, to do the London thing. No, no, I didn't. I'm probably a little bit contrary, if nothing else. But <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And I also, we had a lot of friends in London, which is awesome. And London's great. But I, I kind of, you know, I, I wanted to do something different. I think. Um, and Dave was happy to take my leave with that. And London was a backup. So we kind of thought, let's try make Amsterdam work. If it doesn't, then let's try and make London work. Um, but luckily it did. Um, within kind of six weeks, I got, uh, we'd both got jobs. I got a job with a Dutch um, tech startup, which I thought, oh, this is cool, you know, doing their marketing for the UK. Um, but realized pretty quickly, I thought I liked marketing, but I liked marketing New Zealand wine. <laughs> <laughs> not marketing as such yeah no, no not marketing a SaaS product um and so um very quickly you know after moving there I was kind of um creatively bored so you know the job was fast-paced the team was young and fun and all of that but I was straight away um kind of looking for something else um and at the same time just seeped in all of that um inspiration in Europe you know we're going every weekend we'd try and jump on a plane or train and go somewhere new so that's really when um the idea for Arbel came about so um until you know there's a little bit of a niche or indie perfume presence 
back before then, but only tiny. Um, and it was really when this kind of movement was starting to bubble to the surface. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, things outside of the duty-free, outside of the big brand um, kind of world, no celebrity endorsements and things like that. Um, and I'd love that, you know, you go to a little gallery in Antwerp and there'd be like one sculptor and, you know, one brand that just makes coats and then one perfume house, you know, under the same roof. Um, and so I really started kind of falling in love with that world. Um, and then at the same time, um, you know, straight away was looking for a natural brand within that world. Um, and at the time you could buy, um, you know, you'd walk into a high-end beauty store and, you know, the shelves would be full of beautiful natural organic skincare, uh, makeup. Um, but if you went into the perfume part of that store and asked for a natural perfume, and I did this a lot, um, you literally got, oh, no, we don't sell natural perfume. <laughs> if you want a natural perfume, you have to go to the organic supermarket. <laughs> Whereas to me, I was like, no, I'm falling in love with these brands that are sold in galleries. You know, I don't, I don't want to buy my perfume from the supermarket. Um, so that's, yeah, that's really where um, I've started. You've had my whole career path now. I love it. That's great. It's great. Yeah. This is what it's all about. So yeah. cool. So you you start to get this idea. Yeah. What What do you do with it? Yeah. What do you do with an idea? That's yeah. By the way, <laughs> is that? I've seen it. no, yeah, it's great. Well, yeah, my sister. Sorry, this is off piece, but oh, um, okay. my sister did it for me one year. It's really cute. And oh, the cool. Kids yeah, I'll hunt it out. Yeah, great. Yeah. Uh, what do you do with an idea? Uh, at first, it was just playing around with it. You know, testing it out for size. I also, I probably always wanted to own my own business um and it wasn't the only idea at that time you know I couldn't buy a decent coffee in Amsterdam so <laughs> that was the obvious first one um you can now so people are doing that for sure um and there were a few other things I kind of tried on for size um but something about this natural perfume idea just kept you know it kept bubbling to the surface it kept coming back I kept I yeah I think for me it it's not about ticking boxes, but I knew it was something that I could kind of become infatuated with and for a long time. You know, I saw, if I thought if I do a cafe, like, yeah, maybe I'll love that for a year or two, but I begin to begrudge the fact that I'm beholden to it. And, you know, and I, I really saw with um, this Arbel idea that it's something that could just grow and grow and probably engross me for life if that's the way that, it, you know, it turned out. Um in terms of similarities between perfume and wine, you know, there was enough there. I had a trained palette and things like that. So it kind of gave me probably a false sense of confidence. Right. To be, <laughs> to be yeah. honest. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, there's enough. It's kind of the same. You know, they're both romantic and they both, you know, roots uh, kind of deep in French Italian culture. Um, but they're also totally different. You know, the way you make wine um, hasn't changed a lot in the last you know, centuries uh, you still grow grapes and turn them into wine um, perfume the way that we make it is a lot closer to the way that it was being made um, you know a century ago uh, but you know 99% of the ingredients used in the industry they start their life as petrochemicals crude oil you know? so actually that's changed completely 
Um, and then also the way that we make perfume, um, you know, we're using a lot of really cool natural science and biotech as well. So um, we're not doing the drip, 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 you know, drops of essential oil. Actually, the way that we make it is quite modern and progressive too. So, um, yeah, so I've, I've had a false sense of um, confidence um, I had enough uh, of a backlash from those kind of interactions in store to know that there was a negative association with natural perfume. Yeah. So I, I probably spent six months or so just sounding things out, um, trying to learn the industry, reading, um, talking to people, talk to a lot of people. Uh, probably the first 20 or 30 people I spoke to said it wasn't possible to create only natural perfume. Um, Were you, when you say talk to people, are you ringing like chemists um, and things like that or? Not so formal, like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, oh, I've got a friend who knows a person who's in the industry. A bit more like that, you know, kind of softer, um, talking, you know, going into a perfume store and talking to the people in the store and seeing what they say. And then maybe they say, oh, there's a perfumer, you know, who lives down the road, I'll introduce you. So a bit more like that. And the cool thing is being based in Amsterdam, there was enough of a scene there that you could, you know, um, going to a couple of conferences and, you know, sitting in on webinars, things like that. So really. Um, so proper research though, you know, yeah, like really, research. really, yeah. yeah. Yeah, proper. I mean, I took it seriously from the get-go. Um, I didn't want to throw myself into something that wasn't going to be a long-term um, proposition. And I also... Because those interactions at the start were so negative, I really realized that if we were going to do this, we had to over deliver. You know, it was really. To do it properly and. Yeah, guilty yeah. till proven innocent. Yeah, yeah, totally. It sounds dramatic, but you know, no. even when we launched in London, we did this is going back five or six years ago. Um, we did a press event up there, and um, one of the perfume critics, and I always quote this, he says, I like the cobalt. I love the cobalt amber so much. I'm willing to forgive the fact that it's natural. Right. So there it is. You know, like that's the yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was the thinking at the time, and so I was almost in many ways. I think I said before, I'm contrary. It was like, okay, cool. We're going to (laughs) prove that you can do this. People don't want to believe you can. Um, And so for me, it was about building a team around me. I'm not a perfumer, you know, uh, and it quickly became apparent that, and I think this is a cool thing to touch on because it's such an amazing industry, you know. So Isaac, our perfumer that we work with, um, he's the only master perfumer from the whole Australasia region ever. Um, Yeah, the first, the only, um, and he's one of kind of 50 in the world. So it's a tiny elite group um, and, you know, people have said to me, oh, why didn't, why is it not founder made? And I was, you know, because I wanted it to be credible. I wanted it to be taken seriously because perfume is this incredible art science skill. And if I wanted to do it myself, I'd be still training now, you know. So and you're I, like, and I also don't want to just be mixing essential oils in my kitchen no. and bottling them. I, this is a, a commercial business exactly yeah and it's it's the mixing essential oils in the kitchen that has given natural perfumery bad name because people think oh these are ingredients I have in my house 
Yeah, I can buy essential oils at the organic supermarket. So that's that's why that perfume critic was like, nah. <laughs> um, so so you get so you get your research, you qualify it basically. We're going. I'm going to do this. And so, how do you meet Isaac? Did you do a business plan? Did you did you, my one of the questions I love to know is what it what money did you have? Like, where do you go from that idea? To the next yeah, step. The next step, yeah. So um I'll start with finding Isaac. Um first it was just I wanted to find a master perfumer. Um and that was just research, but like literally at the time I felt like every person I came across was like an old French or Italian man. <laughs> you know, I could not imagine, you know, getting someone like that on board. How would I share my vision with them? Um and then I came across a video of this young guy called Isaac Sinclair with a Kiwi accent standing in the Waitakere Ranges and he was talking about how perfume is like wine literally he start <laughs> weeping <laughs> my like oh eureka this is yeah. you know I think when you're starting a business you look for signs right so that was when I found that video of Isaac I was like this is a sign you know that kept me going for three months mm. yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah how cool um, is that yeah, that's cool. I managed to stalk him till I had a contact and then he ignored me for three months. Um, and then, you know, and I now know he gets so much outreach and he's a bit of a, he's a bit rock star, but also very elusive, you know. So he was just living in New Zealand? No. With, no not even he, in New Zealand? No, so he hasn't lived in New Zealand since he started out on his journey as a 17-year-old. He's now kind of early, mid-40s. Um, he's been in Sao Paulo for the last 10 years. Um, uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil's the biggest perfume market in the world. Uh, but he was trained in Paris and Milan um, and has worked, yeah, Paris, Milan, Germany. Amazing. Sao Paulo. Yeah, so he's a really good guy. Uh, so no, we did. We were doing, uh, you know, Skypes. It was Skypes back in those yeah, days. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah love it. Yeah. So we did Skypes. We created our first perfume over Skype, really. So him working on it, sending me samples um, back and forth for you know a year or something like that, even longer. He went AWOL at one point. <laughs> but, you know, total creative. He doesn't do that these days, but. Um, <laughs> But I, I yeah, like he I, was in his thirties um, then, so it was like <laughs> yeah, and we were still just this idea. Like, is it going? Is it going to? He was amazing the way he kind of took me seriously. Um, and the reason he did, I think, is you know I've asked him, and we've we've done press conferences and things before, and he was like, he he was getting you know a hundred emails a week. Everybody from New Zealand or Australia who ever wanted to create a perfume would reach out to Isaac, um, and he was like, it was the first time someone came with an interesting, different idea, you know, who wanted to do something differently um, and who really had a plan in place for the whole thing. Because actually, you know, the perfume formula, which is what Isaac creates, is just such a, it's a really important, but it's also a really tiny part of getting a business off the ground, right? Yeah, so no, Isaac's awesome. I've worked with him since. So you harnessed him, you start working on it. Yeah. <laughs> one, one perfume. Yeah. Uh, it was called Vintage 13 at the time. Um, and that was taking from my winemaking roots. We launched it in 2013. Um, and yeah, we funded that off savings. Um, 
So my husband and I it was I was working out of our apartment. Um, there was Isaac involved. Um, Had designer. you finished working by this stage, or were you still doing a bit of work as well? By the time we launched, yes, but only just. So I had a really great boss at the time who I went in guns blazing. I'm going to resign and start a perfume business. And he was like, Are you sure you don't want to like work four days a week for a little while? You're like, actually, that's quite a good idea. <laughs> really good idea. So for about, for about 18 months, I went from four days to three days to two days, eventually stopped. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was really a smell of an oily rag, kind of that perfume, um, pulling in as many favors as I could, doing everything myself that couldn't, you know, that I could yes. do. Um, and what was just, the initial? Oh, did you have the name? Yeah, Arbel so Arbel then? Was, yeah, Arbel yep. was Arbel. Um, brand? Brand looked different. Yeah, the original design was different. You can probably, um, somewhere in the deep. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Internet, you'll find it um we used only I was totally purist um we used only organically certified ingredients in that first perfume uh all of the materials were recycled we used wood that um was because all these things as well you know people have told me oh it won't um you'd have to protect it completely from sunlight you know if you're not using um UV filter or sunscreens or anything like that then the liquid can't see the sunlight um, so we made this elaborate wooden case that we that we uh, used reclaimed wood that came from old railway carriages um so you'll look back and I look back and I you know it's quite so different um, yes so different yeah. um, but it was the journey as part of the journey yeah and did um, you pay for branding at that point or did you have to kind of I mean obviously you have to pay for the packaging but was a lot of that sort of smell of an oily rag as well and yeah totally the branding was a friend of a friend um and I gave him we wrote on a napkin um you know five percent of Arbel and eventually I paid him out a couple of years later when we rebranded <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> not that I had a lot of money at that time but it was you know ridiculous for a person to have five percent five percent share for one <laughs> It looked completely different, you know, okay. uh, to, what, to what he'd done. So, uh, and we're still friends. He's a yeah. great guy. A uh, big learning for me there was when someone's doing something as a favor, you, um, or at least me, mm. you feel defeated and you're not totally honest and you don't get what you want. Yeah. You know? um, and so for me, when we rebranded a couple of years later, um, I actually, we sold our house in Auckland to fund um, that rebrand wow. uh, and the kind of next step change. So um, that's, yeah, that was kind of how we did that that stage. That was back in 2016. Let's um, take it back to um, vintage. Vintage 13. 13. Yeah. So you launch it. How do you launch it? Like you've got this, how many, how many bottles did you make? Yeah, we produced 2,000. Right. So you've got 2,000 bottles of perfume. You're in yeah. Amsterdam. Yeah. What do you we, do? Um, so I signed up with um, one retailer in Holland. They were, they're called Skins Cosmetics. They're like a local mecca, um, let's say. And so they had, I think, 12 stores at the time. Um, and we launched exclusively with them with one perfume. Mm -hmm. um, they had their, um, 
you know, autumn, winter press day. So we launched um, and, you know, really. So you could just join in with that basically, having to do your own. Yeah, so we joined their press launch. They were technically our distributor at the time. Um, And, you know, that was pretty cool. Like we were launching alongside um, brands like K of Ice, which is one of my, you know, beautiful, organic, refillable um, makeup brands from New York. Um, So that was a really, and it was in a beautiful uh, conservatorium hotel in um, Amsterdam where Skins have a store. Um, And I remember saying there was like the editor of um, Esquire magazine and he said something to me like, how do you feel? I was like, oh, I just can't believe we've got to this point because I think anyone who's launched a business, you feel like when you get to launch, you're like, oh my God, I've done it. You know, we're here in this beautiful building amongst these beautiful brands. And he was like, oh yeah, you've got to the start line. <laughs> and I love it. At the time, I, I, my face probably dropped and I probably thought like, oh, what a dick, you know, what an awful thing to say. Um, and now I look back and it is just so true. So true, yeah. So- what a clever idea though doing it that way because I think often with business people do especially these days because of online and all that you kind of launch yourself and it's a big piece of work and PR's expensive and getting into places is hard work and they require PR and all you know like they require a lot from you whereas doing it that way you can jump on the back of that machine and make connections and all that it's a great way to do it. Yeah, I think it is. There's a lot of things. Um, we're probably not your average brand trajectory. So. Yeah. <laughs> not when I sit alongside other New Zealand brands, I think, you know, it's really established a foothold in the New Zealand market, then go to Australia, um, you know, whatever. Mm. And the way that I don't know if it's me personally or the fact that I was in Amsterdam or, you know, the perfume industry maybe is a little bit different as well. It's very global, that kind of layer of niche perfume. It's very global. Um, but for us, um, I just kind of set everything up in a very lean way. Mm. You know? It's probably a combination of all of it, all of yeah, those things. It's, it's not necessarily the best way either. Mm. So on reflection now, we're actually, we're reducing our number of markets and we're going deep right. and just, you know. Yeah. yeah. Core. So actually yeah. we're kind of coming full circle, but... Mm. Um, it's hard to know it's just all part of the journey right yeah oh totally and I think probably for you being away being in Europe particularly your perspective even as a Kiwi is instantly different because you're I mean I yeah when you you live overseas you are you're a Kiwi but you're in that world and so it would have shaped so many different things like you say for you and for your business and and then you're coming back here and sort of taking those experiences and, yeah. you know, going from there. Cool. Okay. So you launch. <laughs> no, 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 I love it. Um, how'd you, how'd you go? How'd you go? Good. Good. I mean, uh, the launch, you know, everybody thinks, oh, you launch and you sell it overnight. Obviously that's not going to happen. Um, probably the biggest hurdle for us was that I got pregnant the week after we launched um, <laughs> try hanging out. Try hanging out in perfume shops when you're <laughs> first trimester pregnant. Um, so I think in a way that also dictated what that first, you know. So I had uh, our two sons um, in the first three years of Abel, um, which is wonderful. And you know, they're, they're, it's like that's our family. Is 
know, I was part of the family. Um, but I think, you know, if I wasn't getting pregnant and having a baby, I probably would. Like, I think that set the trajectory for those early years. You know, it was slow and organic um, and it was really. Um, You've got distraction factors completely out of your control unrelated to business uh, that can yeah. get you at any time. Yeah, and I also think um, I kind of believe the world conspires, you know, and I think in many ways, um, you know, now the kids are a bit older, um, I'm really able to, the apple doesn't get my 100%, obviously, the kids still, you know, a huge part of my life, but I have capacity now, and that's also what we're seeing, um, you know, we're making big step changes as a business the last year or two, because I have the capacity and I can lead the team and grow, um, which isn't to say that, you know, uh, I remember, um, you know, trying to do launch our second perfume and Arthur was four weeks old. <laughs> like, you know, so it wasn't like it was, you know, I'm making it sound rosy. It wasn't, you know. No. Often, often it was super hard work. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm not. Um, but as your as your personal situation changes and evolves, it means you have different levels of capacity for your business. Totally. And, yeah. 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 And I think as mothers, that's something, and as women, um, it's something we kind of have to factor in to our life. And, and more and more men, you know, I think the cool thing is, um, like in our final years in Amsterdam, Abba was asking quite a lot of me, um, and my husband had to step up. Right. And that's also really cool. You know, he dropped down to, he was doing a big job, but dropped down to four and a half days. So that in Holland, they do um, a half day at school on a Wednesday, um, which is cute. They call it Papa Dach, which is like normally the puppers. Um, that's their day with the kids. That Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. So he, he had to really kind of pick up a bit of slack um, in our final year or two in Amsterdam. And he's such a great dad because of it as well. You know, so that's also... We really, in these days, we're very much 50-50 on all fronts. So I'm also really grateful for that. That's I mean, awesome. Yeah. 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 So um, because we're, we, uh, I, I want to get all of the information. <laughs> so when did you, so you launched a second perfume, not that much, like a year or so. Yeah, later. Um, exactly. Second perfume was, um tonic and we launched it just over a year later um and then um we kind of had enough traction so by that point we had a distributor in germany uh, we had agents in the uk and spain uh, we'd had some really nice press we had you know like quite a lot of um just positive signs but it was still all run out of my apartment um and I every time I looked at the brand, I could all I could think about was the things that I wanted to improve, you know. And I, it was things like the branding is obvious, but also I knew that the organic certification was holding us back, you know. And there were quite a lot of because I was new to the industry. I think if you come from an industry, you already have such a wealth of knowledge, you know. You're already kind of a step along the way. Um, whereas I was learning the industry, um, which I think was positive because to be a challenger brand, you know, you have to kind of come in with enough naivety or something. Um, but I just, there was so much I wanted to change that uh, that's when we made the decision, okay, it needs proper money to make those changes. Um, I believe in it. I can see that there's, you know, scope for this to, to be something. Um, and 
To be honest, like we did a, um, so Dave, my husband, I mean, my sister Gabe was staying with us in Amsterdam at the time. And Elise, who still works for me, for me now, she just kind of started like as a part-time um, while she was doing her master's thesis. And we did one of those days where we got all the information out on the ground. <laughs> there were a lot of tears and it was like, is this worth pursuing? You know, I want to give up. I didn't start a business to be working out of our apartment with two you know, children under the age of three so um and at the end of that day I was I had a lot of conviction I was like you know what I believe in this I just think we need to do it all better basically and so what you said today we launched um yeah just after Arthur was born in 2016 still um, in Amsterdam at that point yeah still yep. in Amsterdam. we only left um I got back in January 2020 oh so. really not yeah, long ago yeah, yeah cool yeah, okay not long ago at all yeah uh, we still are like we're a New Zealand business now I have been for yeah since January 2020 um but we still have two of our original Dutchies working for us um at least in Amsterdam and Marika in Boston um and we still have you know like quite a big uh, we have our production our main warehouse everything's still up in Amsterdam so uh, we're definitely like a, a kind of a quasi Dutch Kiwi yes you know? yeah a hybrid yeah, <laughs> yeah. did yeah. you so as you as the brand grew and 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 kind of from that point in 2016 when you were like right that I do believe in this we've got to we've got to grow we've got to you know um you put a bit more is that when you sold your house in Auckland you put yeah. to put a bit yeah. of more money into it etc um like how do you how did you kind of grow I mean I, part of that would have been before but you know you're selling into you had a German distributor you're selling how many countries were you selling into sort of around that point and how did you how did you launch into those countries yeah um so how did you that, find the distributors sorry <laughs> Yeah, no, lots of questions. That's good. Um, at that point, we, so at the point that we relaunched, um, I took on two team members. So Elise, who I mentioned before, she came on full time. Um, she just finished study uh, and I took on a sales manager at the time. I'm not a sales person. So that was also like recognizing that we need, you know, let's mm. fill those gaps where it's not my skill suit. I always feel like I'm selling myself. <laughs> yeah it's hard it's hard and, it's yeah. hard and I think most creators would probably you know we have the fabric we have a front of house here in Wellington and I'm kind of infamous for the fact that I almost never sell a bottle <laughs> like if I'm down there everybody leaves with samples and you know <laughs> friend story yeah. but yeah um, yeah so um and then we did uh, we did a stand at um, Pitti Fragrance which is like the the niche perfume fair in Florence um and I don't look I think by that point we were building up enough of a presence and awareness um we did take on a Dutch PR agency to launch with us then um we did some really we did like a really cool kind of launch activation in one of our stores in Amsterdam um we had the guy that did the creative artwork like signing bottles personalized yeah um, things like that uh did a beautiful big window display with them so we did kind of at that point invest in that lots of marketing and promotion and yeah and yeah. actually having a sales manager is massive because their job is to Sell. Sell, you know, yeah, and it's hard when you're, I think a lot of the time people do get into that 
they sort of sales is the last thing that they would hire because they think that they can do it themselves or just think they have to do it themselves. But like you say, when you recognize where your skills are at and someone can just focus on that. And if they do that and they do it well, they'll give me enough resource to be able to do more. Totally. And I realized silly things like I was still doing all the, like we had someone bottling the perfume, but I was putting the bottles in the boxes and whatever. And we, you know, our storage room was Rufus's bedroom. Yeah. Um, I'm sure lots of people can, you know, um, attest to that kind of situation. And I realized that if a big order came in, it meant that I was packing for five or six hours that evening. You know, And your time is so precious and worth so much. Yeah, but also like subconsciously do I want the big order to come in or not yes (laughs) yeah totally like I'm sure there's a weird dynamic going on there that I don't push for sales because then then I'm like exhausted with a crying baby so yeah yeah, and just all those kind of business I wanted to make it a my my kind of goal at that point was I want to make it a real business and I I never set out to have a hobby business but I wanted to make real business at that point um, and yeah we did uh we grew you know really well um from there through to um kind of like early this year so that really nice organic growth trajectory um we were adding like I think we were lucky because there are so few we're kind of ahead of our time right like if someone wanted a natural perfume brand we were one of just a couple in the world um and so We didn't have to do loads of outreach. That's not to say things were easy, but most of our distributors came to us. Great. Um, As the the industry and the the requirements grow, I guess, because over the past few years, more and more people are searching for natural that they would possibly have never searched for. I know I wouldn't have. I just didn't even... No, the awareness, I think the last... what um, What we noticed... Um, kind of up until a few years ago was that the retailers were thinking, oh, we need a natural perfume. The distributors were thinking, oh, we need a natural perfume, Um, you know. And so that kind of trickle effect was happening, but consumers were still pretty much in the dark, apart from really natural consumers. And so we also were kind of finding our place, like do we sit amongst a clean beauty portfolio where we know the consumer is, where there's a bit more understanding or do we sit with a niche perfume portfolio where maybe there's more credibility in the industry and there's also, you know, the cool stores, you know, um, perfume distributors had us in, you know, Toto Kalo in New York and all these like super cool stores. Um, and so for us, there's been a lot of like finding out who are we in this world, how do we reach our customers. Um, and then this year, I would say, has been a bit of a step change for us in terms of getting external financing for the first time um, and really trying to kind of make that leap. Um, and that was really driven by, A, felt, personally felt like the right time, um, B, my management team. We're all, I've got awesome three cool, strong women, mothers um, based across Amsterdam, Boston and Wellington. Um, and, you know, when I kind of tabled it to them, yeah, we're on board, you know, we want to, if we don't do it, someone else will do it, basically, it was like, we don't own this category, there's going to be someone else will come in and like bugger it, we've been doing it for years, you know, like we deserve to, so um, we kind of made that decision to really invest in uh, like driving the brand forward this year. And I guess if global, 
if you are wanting to grow your business and global growth and to play in the same places as international brands, there's only so, well, I can't imagine many people that could self-fund that completely. You know, it's a big piece. Unfunded organic growth, unfunded either. No, no. And you know, to a consumer, they see Abel and they see Byredo and they think, oh, yeah, they're both niche brands. You know, Mm. Byredo sold for a million, a billion dollars last year, yeah, like a few months ago. Yeah, you know, like uh, it's different, yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's so different. In Little Abo, people say, oh, you know. Niche perfume, Lilabo. I'm like, they have like 300 stores and they're owned by Estee Lauder, you know? Like, so even even while, we've, while we're playing in like the niche world, these are still giant, huge brands. Yes. Right? Um, and With get- endless resources and endless. Yeah, really. Yeah. So what did a fundraise look like for you? How did you approach that? Because I've talked to different people that have kind of gone down different roads. What did you got? Did you uh do the sort of uh Kickstarter type or not Kickstarter, you know, like a that sort of or how did you do it? Uh, so we we've taken um we've partnered with Maker Capital, they're a um, primarily they're Kiwis but they're based across um Wellington, Auckland, Melbourne, New York. So, really nice brand fit. Their um remit is really um high-end Kiwi brands with a global remit and a sustainable ethos. So actually, like when when I got introduced to these guys, it was really like a oh, perfect fit, you know, it all kind of fell into place. Um, but it did, did you just of- sort of put a few feelers out and, okay, let's look here? Or- no, we took quite a serious approach to it. So um, when we made the decision to go for it, we really committed to that. Um, and so um, I was working with NZTA at the time. Um, they put me forward for, this was actually the catalyst moment. They put me forward for like a Dragon's Den style <laughs> pitch event, which was like a, okay, cool, we're committing. You know, I have, yes. to, I have to pitch to a room of 100 people. Um but at the same time, we started kind of glowing out to global partners. Um, the U.S. is our biggest market. So straight away, it was, you know, should we be getting U.S. funding for growing the U.S. business? Um, and had really amazing. I went up to New York um, and L.A. at the time, met with a lot of people who will quite potentially be next round funding. But we were just a bit early for them. So a bit small. They really only were interested in how big is your U.S. business. Uh, you know, not your total business. Um, most of them require um, US entities, which we we do have a US entity now, but we did then. It's all uh, big growth, though. I mean, they're all yeah. big steps, even to just yeah, get to that. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. We've just hired our first. Um, so we've had Marika and Elise working, you know, internationally, but they started with me in Amsterdam. So while they were kind of, you know, like a global team, um, we had this personal, incredible relationship already. So we've just hired our first, uh, like, international newbie, let's say. Um, so a sales manager in, in New York. Um, and that felt like a really big leap of faith as well we found an incredible woman I don't know she's like a, she was a fan of Arbel she was a fan of New Zealand and she had a Dutch boyfriend so it's like tick 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 <laughs> perfect world conspired to bring us um her um but yeah there's a lot of this this year there's been a lot of big step changes yeah. for us 
Yeah. Great. And so tell me the business today. I mean, we've talked about a lot about where the business is at today, but in terms of the product range and what it looks like, what does it look like today? Uh, so we have a core collection of seven um, and they are available in Eau de Parfum, which we produce in Holland. Um, we will probably always produce, um, you know, close to the market. So it's, it's hard with New Zealand, right? So, you know, 80% or more of our markets, Northern Hemisphere, um, and almost all of our suppliers are Europe. <laughs> so we will probably continue to produce um, almost, you know, that kind of main commercial line um, just out of Amsterdam. Um, but we produce as well now um, a Parfum XJ line, which is a high concentration uh, alcohol-free kind of wellness-led format. Uh, so we kind of flipped on our, yeah, this kind of came about because early in um, COVID days, we started realizing that our customers were really wearing Arbol not for how they smelled to others, but for how it made them feel. Yeah, it was a really beautiful shift. Um, and so we thought, what would happen if I wanted to make something in New Zealand um, and we took over this, you know, awesome old, the old Aro Bake um, bakery here in Aro Valley into a little factory, we call it the Fabrique, which is the Dutch, Dutch word for factory. Um, and so I wanted to make something here and really, you know, have a New Zealand made product line. And so we really kind of designed that product line to like, what would, what would happen if we led with wellness and carbon footprint, basically, you know, and make it here and ship it around the world. Um, and so that's what that line is. Uh, our core collection of seven, we have a one in one out policy. Um, so when we launch a new perfume, we kill a darling. Right. Um, oh, kill a darling. I've never heard that uh, before. <laughs> yeah. Heartbreak. Yeah. yeah. Heartbreak. I think it's Hemingway said Killer Darling. I can't yeah. remember something like that. But um, I think any creative will understand yeah. that. You, know, you have to kill a lot You've got to move. You've got to change. Yeah. You have to. And um, for us, um, there was a couple of reasons. I've already said I'm contrary. But um, pressure on brands to launch new stuff. Mm. You know, I really hate that. Um, and I think when there is pressure to launch new, you launch new for the sake of it. You don't launch new because it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> you just launch new because, you know, you because we've just got to get something out and we've got to get something new and we've got to, exactly. yeah. yeah. But if you have to kill a darling to launch something new, you don't launch it unless it's amazing, you know. Yeah. So for us, um, that's really meaningful and it's hard. Yes. Like we're pulling one out in April to launch a new fragrance um, and the one that we're pulling out like two weeks ago had like a US um, YouTuber like do this whole thing about that fragrance. <laughs> uh, and we like sold, you know, more overnight than we've Can sold you change it. your darling last minute? <laughs> I'm not going to. No, okay. Could, but the reason, yeah. you know, we're going to stick to our guns. So that's also, yeah. um, you know, maybe. So one yeah, I was going to say that the beauty is like, then later you could bring that darling back, you know, oh, like there's exactly. so many options and opportunities, isn't there? Yeah. But at least you're not, yeah, we've got 500 cents or, you know, 500 types. It's, it's Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think the also, the also other thing is then it becomes like a living collection. It's improving mm. all the time. Um, so our top three bestsellers are our latest three launches, um, which is really cool to me that like it's mm. tribute the fact that Isaac and I as a creative duo are getting better, um, the number of new 
ingredients coming out all the time it's getting better and better you know that the science is kind of pushing the boundaries all the time and so to me I really believe it's the right thing to do um but sometimes it can oh yeah also the one we're losing is like my dad's favorite oh right yeah. <laughs> so they can just buy it in bulk then, you know but so, the new one is yeah. awesome so yeah, yeah. so it's, yeah. it's all good um, I think that's a that's such a great way in a refreshing way and a contrary way to look at things. It's lovely. You know, it's a, it's um, different to mass, mass more, 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 isn't it? And it's a really nice considered yeah. way to look at it. Retailers, you know, they don't want 40 perfumes have to buy into a collection to have to sell 40. And, you know, consumers don't really want to have to choose from actually probably more than three, you know, like yeah so isn't it um, funny how you your you change you know and and subconsciously I mean I am in no way a great uh non-materialistic consumer I am I'm just as but my my mind is constantly changing and now you know I walk into farmers for example and it is just the world doesn't need that many you know, you can walk past the perfume. You just the world doesn't need that much yeah. stuff. And and again, as your awareness grows, and you're like, and that's all chemicals as well that you're putting. You know, it's pretty crazy. The more and more and more there is in the world, you know. Oh, totally. And look, and I'm sure other kind of business owners will have like. Sometimes you get super purist and you're like, what am I even doing creating a product? <laughs> you know. <laughs> but then you come back to the fact that what we're doing is different and there's, you know, there's people and we're changing an industry is what I hope. Yes, um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's pretty cool. overwhelming. Um, we try to keep our messaging super positive. I don't want anyone to buy our perfume because they are afraid of something. Yeah, guilt purchase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. Or, or fear purchase. Yes. You know, yeah. Sometimes, you know, oh, I've been wearing Chanel number, you know, five for 40 years and, you know, I didn't realize it was bad for me. And I think, oh, that's not what I want. Actually. No. I'm happy to give you another alternative. But if, if Chanel number five makes you, your day, yes. You know, yeah it's 20 right like we you want be- them to purchase your product because you've delighted them and they yeah. are and they it are inspired them. and it speaks to them um, and every yeah. day you put it on and it connects you to nature and brings you yeah. joy it's really yeah, yeah. beautiful so we've kind of talked a little bit about it but I'll roll through some of my questions in this last little bit what what are what are in summary the values or ethos that drive Abel? Um, I think, uh, you know, there's the product values. So, you know, ethical, sustainable, plant-derived, giving back. Um, then there's kind of the brand values around excellence and wanting to deliver, um, you know, something beautiful, original. Um, the cool thing about natural perfumes is they change on your skin. Um, and that's something we really hear from our customers is that they love that they don't smell like everybody else either. So it's really this kind of beautiful, more intimate um, approach to perfume. Um, yeah, as, as a like so much of my personal values come into Abel, I think, as well. So like I'm very, very much we're a full woman team, um, which is pretty cool. Didn't set out to be that way, but um, 
that's just the way the brand keeps growing. So also, you know, women's um, role in the workplace and the world um, kind of comes through a lot with the brand. Um, our latest launch, so we have two perfumes that sit outside of our main collection and they're kind of, they're quite special and they're really functional fragrances. So one that we created, Nurture, which is around um, ingredients that are not just safe, but also good for you while you're um, expecting a baby and while you're breastfeeding and, you know, have a baby around you. That was our top two, you know, how we selected, I got my friends to help me select. So Nurture was number two, kind of one, two, you know, like it switches between that. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so nurture, um, you know, I wasn't going to work with Isaac on nurture because he's a dude. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so Fanny Grau, she's a French perfumer. I don't like to introduce her this way because it undermines her a little bit. But the reason I know her is that she's Isaac's wife. Um, but she's a perfumer in her own right. And actually, she's a doctorate in biochemistry. So she's a smart awesome woman um and when I called her to say hey I've had this idea about a perfume for new expecting mothers she said oh did you know I'm pregnant uh, which I didn't so there's your was, sign right hey, <laughs> looking for the sign and so then a couple of years ago I called her back and I said oh Fanny I've had this idea um I've been experiencing uh, perimenopausal symptoms and I thought like, could we create a perfume that really um, supports during that time, but also shines a light on, you know, the shame and stigma and all these things associated with women aging, because I think that's like inextricably linked. I think part of the reason menopause, perimenopause has so much stigma is that it's, it's, it's all about aging. And she said, oh, what's perimenopause? You know, I've never heard of this. And I said, that's the, that's the thing. No one's heard, you know, um, and then I told her about it and she said, oh my God, I've got terrible insomnia and my mood swings at the moment. Uh, you know, my hormones are everywhere. So that was again, um, so pause, pause. Uh, we launched a couple of months ago and it's really the kind of, I don't know, the big sister to nurture, let's say. Um, and that's uh, all around using ingredients that kind of so- support hormonal well-being, uh, but also we've used it as an opportunity to attach a really beautiful product to a stage of life that has uh, totally negative connotations. Yeah, negative connotations and swept under the carpet and you know, nobody talks about. So um, that's been a really cool part of the journey as well. Actually. That's cool. Perimenopause, yeah. very much a topic of conversation in my um, girls' <laughs> chats at the moment. Yeah, 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 totally. And I, yeah. you know what? It's only a couple of generations ago that women would bleed for the first time and think they're dying, right? Yes, yeah. Um, and so for me, perimenopause was a bit the same. I was like, what am I getting night sweats for? And then thinking, how do I not know about enough about this? Why, does, why did this surprise me? Why did I think I was 10 years away from one? Yeah, that's the thing you know about menopause, yeah. but you didn't know about Perry, that I was thinking yeah. years kind of, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> preparing for menopause, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. what does a typical sort of day or week look like for you? Yeah, um, if I'm in the office, which I mostly am if I'm not traveling, um, uh, 
I'm in today. Uh, I had a call with Isaac first thing. We're working on a new fragrance, and I was chasing him to check to make sure he sent me um, <laughs> he sent me samples. Um, then I had a call with uh, our, one of our investors up in New York. Um, he was uh, he'd been having a chat with someone in Japan um, about Arbel, and so we were catching up on that. Um, then I had a call with. Uh, Marika, our sales, our commercial manager up in Boston, and Kath, our marketing manager, who was working from home, but she's Wellington, um, kind of on our US planning um, yeah. at the moment. Um, then I was, sorry, is this the kind of answer you want? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I'm always just so interested. Like, what is yeah, it? Yeah, what yeah. is it? Well, that's yeah. it. Uh, then I actually had a call with my business coach, which is part of a, a kind of leadership course I'm doing at the moment which is amazing I set up uh, we've got a roof terrace here which is awesome I set up in the sun uh, and had a 40 minute uh, chat with her which was really um, energizing uh, then I met quickly with uh, Lisa who's just started in our fabrique downstairs our front of house um, uh, which is really cool it was she actually had her first day on Saturday which was not a great first day. I love it <laughs> <laughs> so I was having a proper proper chat with her um yeah. And then I came upstairs and I joined this call. Cool. So that's and fun. that's cool. And now that the world is back open, and I know you've just been on a big whirlwind trip, how sort of often are you traveling? Are you aiming to travel? And what, yeah. Yeah, I, it's funny because um, I can't separate out COVID from living in New Zealand. Yes. <laughs> Because we moved home, we moved home in January um, and I was getting back up to Europe in April was the plan. So obviously that didn't happen. Um, Were you sort of thinking, oh, look, I'll move, we'll move home, but we'll the world's a small soon. place. I'll just come back and forth all the time. It'll be fine. I won't be on the other side of the world. Yeah. Totally. It was like, mm. see you in a couple of months, basically. Yeah. And I went back for the first time, yeah, a few weeks ago, which was amazing. Mm. Uh, but I think probably I need to be up in New York kind of two, three times a year, yeah. um, in Europe once a year at least, um, and Japan. Japan's our second biggest market and you know, it's not the worst place in the world to visit. So no. up there once every year or two as well. So I don't know, whatever that, I don't know is the truth. Yeah. <laughs> Quite a bit though. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. like, I think we had a few messages and I was like, I'm so jealous. And you're like, look, yes, but there's pros and cons to work travel. Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 And I think it's really important that people see behind the Instagram as mm. well. You know, with everything with life, you know, oh, totally. um, your own business is awesome, but it's also mm. fucking Yeah. Um, and same thing, work travel, like one of those days in New York, I think I had 11 meetings. Yes. Nine of them were press interviews. So, you yes. know, like that, so it was amazing. Actually, it was a really cool trip, but um, it's not easy. No, no. Uh, biggest highlight so far? Uh, I always struggle with this one. I think it's like the little the little things that are um, awesome. I have to say when we launched our fabric in Wellington last year, just before Christmas, um, I'm I'm not a bit I'm an introvert I don't love events necessarily but um the team convinced me we should celebrate it which <laughs> I'm happy we did um and honestly it was like in that window of COVID where you're allowed to have 100 people mm -hmm. uh, and we had 100 people um okay. and they 
all rocked up and they were so supportive and incredible. And I I still feel kind of new to Wellington, right? Like we've been here two and a half years, but, you know, half of that. Half of it you've been inside. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so that was really gratifying to feel Mm. part of the community here. And I think um, part of the reason we are able to step change and all of these things is that I feel like with our base in Wellington here, we have a really solid platform from which to kind of spring. And I think we never had that in Amsterdam because there was always the uncertainty of when would we move? When would, Mm. you know, yeah. You've put your roots down now and now you can grow from there. That's so cool. That's so cool. the community here is awesome. They genuinely want you to succeed and support and, yeah. That's awesome. Who have been the biggest influences in your work, do you Uh, think? Oh, the people around me, I think I admitted to you, like I'm not really a podcast listener. I'm also not really, a, you know, I don't have big um, hero kind of figures, mm. uh, but I have incredible people in my life, you know. My mom was a big role model for me. Um, my sisters are, you know, badass women doing cool things. My group of girlfriends, and I've got um, three who I lived who were kind of incredible my Amsterdam family when I was up there and who are all back in New Zealand now um and now I've got you know New Zealand women business groups as well which cool. uh, yes, I think it's those people actually and my team they're mm. also amazing so that yeah I don't know, it's maybe a bit of a dud no, answer that's good yeah. I love it there's no <laughs> dud answers no dud answers <laughs> and um I'm just sort of racing through them now because we're gonna we're gonna oh, yeah. get the thing What's the best business advice you have received or do you have a key piece of business advice you'd like to pass on, which I do kind of feel like you've actually given us so many good nuggets in this already. But is there anything you'd like to pass on or you've received? I think trust your instinct. It's it's not a new one, but I think whenever I've, if I look back and I things have gone wrong, there was always a moment where I questioned it and I trusted either someone else, you know, I think especially days and that was part of that rebranding for me was like you know what I thought I trusted all these other people because they were experts um, second time around I trusted myself a lot more um anytime something goes wrong I always look back and I think oh yeah I knew yeah <laughs> it that's, a, that's great advice yeah so uh very sort of quickly what's the future for Abel where are you heading and have you got any plans you'd share, like to share? Yeah, um, we are, like, market-wise at the moment, we're really kind of focusing on the US, which is quite exciting. So we really want to kind of go deep into that market. Um, Product-wise, I mentioned we've got a new scent coming in April. Um, we also have a new non-perfume line coming at the end of next year, which is really exciting. It's been in the pipeline for a couple of years. We have really strict, like, lines around you know what we will and won't do in terms cool. of innovation in terms of yeah. I just don't want to do stuff if it yeah. already exists you know yeah. I don't want to. so it's taken us quite a long time to commit to doing a non-perfume yeah line because it had to tick all of our boxes but so that's coming that's really exciting um yeah I don't know just continuing grow to and build the brand yeah yeah finally what does success look like to you, either personally, professionally, or both? 
Yeah, I think it has to be both. So my husband and I talk about this quite a lot. And to me, if I'm ha happy and healthy, if our relationship is good, so him and I, if our children are thriving um, and then the business is thriving, that's like success. Brilliant. I love that. Now, <laughs> no, no, I love it. I love it. Okay, I've left enough time to race through these quick fire faves. Yeah, so three items which you can't live without. Yeah, I've got my electric bike um, because I love biking, but Wellington has a lot of hills. It's a hard city to bike. <laughs> yeah. Uh, our juicer, it's cheesy, but I just love it and I'm pretty sure it keeps me healthy. Um, and my whole team have amazing Limber desks, which is a friend of mine's business. And uh, you probably can't tell, but I'm sitting on the ground right now and we all do it. It's life changing. So those are my three. Great. What app for business and or life do we need? Um, I'm honestly not that person. Okay. But <laughs> we all use, <laughs> I've got Slack because it, like I think in terms of, and especially the global team as well, like mm. just having that kind of fun, light communications going all the time. Great. Yeah. What have you watched lately that we must see? Yeah, my husband was away before I was away and I watched Girls at the Back on my own and I yeah uh, I keep recommending it to people it's like a Spanish drama um five women old school friends who go away together once a year and this year they're going away and one of them is just about to start chemo um and it's just I just it really connected with me it's probably right. cheesy really, but um if you is it subtitles yeah subtitles. So you have to see so to focus yeah yeah, yeah, you have to focus, but it's kind of light, but also very poignant. I don't know, everyone, any woman listening in their kind of mid to late 30s, I think, would be like, oh, yeah, I've got a group of girls like Great. that. Yeah. Great. Yeah. When we are in Wellington or Amsterdam, actually, or both, where should we go to eat or drink? Uh, Wellington, I would say come up to Otto Valley and grab a beer at Garage Project. They have their tap room. Um, if you can get a booking at Rita next door, um, I would do that. Beautiful, like, like uh, garden to table kind of food. Uh, Amsterdam, make sure you are on a bike. And I would find a little dingy, dark brown cafe, they call them, and order a dark beer. You travel so much for work, or you will be particularly, but where would you go as a sort of a dream destination next with you and your family? Yeah, I, you know, this is not the answer I had prepared. I would love to take our boys to India um, and it's on the horizon at some point. I just want enough time to do it properly. I, Dave and I went maybe like 15 years ago um, and Oh, I just love it there. The culture, the people, the color, the smell. I mean, stinky, but the smells. And I also think we, our children grow up so privileged, you know, not all of New Zealand, obviously, but a great chunk of New Zealand. Um, I would just love them to see what it's like to, <laughs> to live without all these things that we live with, yeah, that we have and take for granted. So That's cool. You are a self-confessed non-podcast listener. So are there any that you would recommend or do we just put I, that down to a future question? For... Uh, do you know, I, I uh, what's the word, like rallied the troops at the office. Um, right. And they told me song Explor Exploder. 
which where musicians dissect the creative process and how they create music. Oh, cool. And very fascinating. Um, and here I I'm love proud. it that you've outsourced that. <laughs> well, you know, I it's just want good. to leave it hanging with no answer. It's and good. it probably is pathetic that I'm not a podcast listener. But, no way. Yeah. Awesome. And the final question is, where do you get your creative inspiration? And who who are your best creative follows it sort of started off as an Instagram question but it's more of a just a who do you look to for creative inspo yeah again I'm not very good at looking to other people necessarily um maybe it's that contrary streak um I do look to other industries so you know design architecture um if I'm looking for visual stuff that's often um also a scent is so ephemeral um I am a visual person so definitely as part of that creative process we're always I'm always mood boarding Isaac laughs at me <laughs> but I like, get it. your mood board out yes it's important it's important it <laughs> is important yeah but I do think more and more like uh cyan nori was our first perfume that we created after we moved back to New Zealand and that was um we live out on the south coast overlooking um you know the ocean uh, and I wanted to capture that in a perfume and it was the that's first our number one a... yeah well that's our number one actually which is pretty cool um also cool because it's it's quite an edgy scent to be a bestseller um which I'm quite proud of I think that says something about our customers <laughs> you know it's not like fruity or sweet it's, yeah it's quite cool. really salty salty edgy kind of vibes um, but yeah, that was the first nature-inspired fragrance, and um, that was like a pivotal thing moving home to New Zealand, I think. And yeah, I don't know. I think nature has all the answers in a cheesy kind of weird way, doesn't it? I love it. It's a great place to finish, and I feel like I'm just getting to. I'm like counting down the minutes. Thank you so so much for making the time. I have loved every minute. I feel like you uh, you've just built this like beautiful, sophisticated, thoughtful brand and yet you're a very genuine person and you're very generous at your time and just you know what like all of you incredible women like you've got big jobs and big businesses and even to give a bit of your time to just chat and you know oh, I've really enjoyed it too I've loved it you know that's the whole point <laughs> people don't want to hear from me they want to hear from you so hey look thank you so so much Francis and um yeah I will um look forward to releasing this episode to the world thank you so much for listening I would love to hear what you think about the podcast and if you wanted to tell your friends about super creative I would just be ever so grateful If you'd like to keep listening, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And if you wanted to rate and review, that would be amazing. For more information, find us at Super Creative Podcast on Instagram and Facebook.